This Week in Retronauts, music. everyone, and welcome to Retronauts, another episode hosted by me, Jeremy Parrish. With me this week, we have... Cap Bailey. I'm Bob Mackey. And I'm Chris Kohler. And we're gathered here together to talk about music, specifically the music of Nobu Uematsu and Yasunori Mitsuda. Um, you may be wondering why those two musicians specifically, but I don't think you really have to think that hard about it. I mean... The two aren't, you know, the same person. They don't make the same music, but they are kind of closely connected through a number of, of various elements. I mean, both of them are best known really for their work on classic 16 32-bit Squaresoft RPGs. Uh, both of them have kind of a, a shared um, inspiration roots from things like jazz and classic rock and prog rock. And both of them like to dabble in in uh, Celtic music and Celtic themes. Would so, you um sorry? Would you say that that they would be like most famous for like overcoming limitations, like making the most of what they were using? I feel like they were sure. Okay, why not? Okay, they just made really great music for Square RPGs, and um, you know they did collaborate occasionally. And Mitsuda and and Uematsu are two different people with two very different kind of catalogs behind them, but. I really feel like you know, there is a, a strong connection there. So we're going to talk about their music, and uh, there's going to be a lot of music spliced into this episode, so I hope you like that. specifically called this group together because we all like these games and this music. Chris, in particular, is a huge fan of Celtic music. That's true. And uh, therefore a big fan of Uematsu and especially Mitsuda. Yeah, that's right. So have you ever met Yasunori Mitsuda? I have, yes. Yeah, for Power Up, actually. When I was living in Japan, I interviewed Mitsuda for for Power Up. Yeah. Yeah, I've never met him because um, uh, we did an interview with him. I, I wasn't involved at One Up, but um, One Up dot com, mm-hmm. and uh, they filmed some footage of him just kind of like noodling on his piano in a studio. And he came back to them later and said, "Hey, can you guys not publish that?" And someone was like, "Ah, it's okay. We can publish it anyway." So mm-hmm. from that point on, he was like, "Oh, it's those One Up assholes. I hate mm-hmm. them." Oh, I actually no. I met him very briefly at a video games live in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and he was very cordial for a second. And then someone said, "And this is Jeremy." He was like, hello, from one up. And I could just see oh, the boy. shadow oh, fall no. across his face. Wow. You had footage of him ripping off Rick Astley again. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. I'm sorry. Um, I have I have interviewed Uematsu, though, and that was great. He's he's very he's very chill, like super chill. Yes. Yeah. Talking about how he liked uh, you know, hang out and get get wrecked with his friends and listen to music, and mm-hmm. that was how he got inspiration. Yeah. 
And I mean, he uh, has really embraced uh, the, the touring lifestyle, you know what I mean? Like, you know, going to as many of the Final Fantasy concerts as he can and doing a lot of signings and meeting yeah. fans and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's picked a lifestyle where he can wear a bandana and like a muumuu. And... Yeah. <laughs> he needs that bandana because he, he grows his hair out super long. Oh, okay. He, yeah, he just doesn't um, doesn't get haircuts. Uh, I see. Yeah. So if he took it off, it would be just like an explosion. It would be it would be bad. He wouldn't want that. Yeah. All right. He falls in that particular mold of Japanese artist who is completely the opposite of what you would expect the stereotypical typical like Japanese like very uptight. He's right. super he chill. Looks like a beach bum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he wears the yeah, and he also wears like yukata, you know, to concerts mm. and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah I, I shouldn't have called it a muumuu. Muumu. That was rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's he, slightly different. He is very much um, in that sort of hard to find, but definitely extant uh, Japanese bohemian artist. Mold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, he's yeah. he's super beatnik basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's crazy that he made his living. Uh, you know, he kind of made his name on uh, composing these like bombastic soundtracks for video game RPGs. But I guess that's that's pretty pretty unconventional. And and what what are what is a bohemian if not unconventional? And Uematsu, in his way, ended up sort of taking inspiration from Mitsuda as well because, you know, Mitsuda was sort of the first – he, I think, was one of the first um, – the, the Japanese soundtrack, uh, you know, video game soundtrack producers uh, to quit the company – uh, and go freelance, mm. um, and that, and and now everybody has done that. You know, oh, yeah. Uematsu included. I mean, that's kind of what you do now mm-hmm. is um, you you go freelance and start your own company. Uh, but Mitsuda did that very early on. I mean, he really he could have been at Square, you know, and then Square Enix for a much longer time. But I mean, right after Chrono Cross, he was just like, yeah, see ya. Or I've like, accomplished um... all I can accomplish here. <laughs> also, you've already put me in the hospital once. So why don't I just go run just my own once? company? Uh, you know, once that we know of. <laughs> Is the Final Fantasy thirteen duo uh, composers are they, are they still Square Enix uh, uh, like Ito it a, and it wasn't a duo it was just uh, I thought it was two people Hamashi, uh, Masashi Hamazu okay I thought Hiroyuki Ito was also on there Hiroyuki Hiroyuki Ito is a battle system designer oh I'm thinking of somebody else then um, are you thinking Kenji Ito that could be it <laughs> he was always yeah uh, freelancing yeah I think yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know I think I don't think he's worked on Final Fantasy it was always just okay. Saga. I was I just wasn't sure. Never mind. That's okay. I, I apologize. That's fine. But no, uh, Hamazu is uh, freelance also. Okay, I wasn't sure. I thought he was at like he still left uh, shortly yeah. after Final Fantasy thirteen. And Kenji Ito did. I mean, just so we don't get uh, don't get a lot of angry Twitter comments. <laughs> I believe Kenji Ito did um, uh, Final Fantasy Adventure uh, Seiken. So yeah, that, if you want to hey, call that Final Fantasy, okay, it does have a Final J- Fantasy subtitle in Japan. It yes, also yes, says yes, Final yes, Fantasy yes, Guide. Yes. Thank okay, you. Thank okay. you. It is Chocobos. All right. So anyway. Nobu Uematsu. Um, who doesn't love Nobu Uematsu's music? Communists. Well, those <laughs> bastards. I think even communists probably. <laughs> well, yeah, they might. If they ever had a chance to play, you know, Final Fantasy games on their dendi, would whoa, <laughs> would probably love Uematsu's music. I mean, there's you know, like the Final Fantasy VII bootleg for Famicom that came out of China. That's true. Yeah, and that has, I'm sure, Uematsu music in it. So exactly. even communists love Uematsu. <laughs> right. So really, no one. I can't really. Think ISIS. Hates mm-hmm. Uematsu. I can't really think of a game series as close, closely associated with a composer as Final Fantasy. I mean, there are a lot of great composers in the industry, many, many great soundtracks. But when you think Final Fantasy, one of the first things you think is Uematsu. And that's yeah. it's unique. 
Yeah, actually, I'm hard pressed to think of a series that is more closely as- affiliated with a single composer. But uh, I mean, Uematsu eventually left, but uh, Koichi Sugiyama has always been with. Oh Dragon yeah, Plus. there you go. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Not to not to discount your point, Kat. No, I, I totally yeah. agree with you. But it's true when you think about Final Fantasy. When you start, when you ask somebody and you sit them down, which I do all the time, to say, <laughs> "Tell me, just start talking about what you like about Final Fantasy." Um, very shortly into that conversation, no matter who they are, they're going to bring up the music at some mm-hmm. point. Um, so, yeah, there really is a special relationship between Final Fantasy, the game, and Final Fantasy, the soundtrack, um, that really leaves an indelible impression on you if you if you play it. Right. But, of course, uh, Uematsu did not, um, you know, did not spring fully formed mm-hmm. uh, creating Final Fantasy music in this existence. He, you know, uh, graduated from... University in, I think, the late 70s and did some various music composition. He mm-hmm. joined Square Enix in 85 or 86. Yeah. And he, he wanted to be Elton John, he says all the time. Oh, like okay. that was that was a, that was the original plan was that he was inspired. <laughs> he I think he, the uh, I um the first album he ever bought was Honky Chateau, mm-hmm. Elton John. And uh, that was what he was just like, oh, my God, I want to be a piano rocker. And he, now, now after a fashion, um, yeah. he uh, he's, he has played piano on stage. Um, but yeah, uh, that was the initial dream. He was then, in his garage building a Donald Duck costume out <laughs> <laughs> of uh, found parts. Yes, and then got that job at uh, at Square. But yeah, I mean, it was just he was just very. I mean, you know, video games at the time in general was just sort of like you know there were these you know the Square was this tiny little company and. You know, nobody was really interested in working for them. So there's probably only a couple of people who were sending in demo tapes, and mm-hmm. Uematsu was one of them. But he had it. He was very, he was very talented at um at like just coming up with with melodies. You know, and that's really what you kind of had to be able to do. Yeah. Also programming them. Like yeah. he he knew how to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of that that the era where the composers were also the programmers and had to figure out how to make the right sounds from systems. And his early works, um, you know, before Final Fantasy kind of cemented him as the guy making Final Fantasy music, he was working on like three or four different systems. He was working on the uh, PC-8801, the MSX, the Famicom and Famicom Disk system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he worked on maybe something else too. But that's a lot of different sound technologies to have to deal with. So it's kind of of impressive that he was that versatile. Yeah. And again, we've mentioned Koichi Sugiyama. I mean, he was a composer and he was was just a fan of video games, you know, and they reached out to him. He he wasn't going in and programming all the sounds. But Uematsu was the sort of guy you needed if you were a scrappy operation because he could handle all of that and just Mm. implement sound into your video game. Everything from composition to the final product. And he, he really did enter Square at its scrappiest phase mm-hmm, where um, mm-hmm. they were just like throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick. Um, yep. th- that was their disc original group uh, yep. where they were kind of publishing, developing for Famicom Disk System, lots of games of questionable merits, mm-hmm. um, dabbling in PC shooters like they published stuff like Thexter. Yep. Um, so they were just, yeah, all over the place. And and Umatsu's early music is pretty all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um like as far as I can tell, his first composition was for a game called Cruise Chaser Blasty. Yeah, Blast-y. which was Blasty. Two S's there. Uh, PC shooter. I have no idea if the game is any good, but the music not actually that great.
It sounds like the opening to an anime. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the opening to a really generic mech anime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds I mean, like, uh, which makes sense because there's a giant mech on the on the screen. Sounds well, like the, the Genesis mouth harp. Well, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's definitely got the um, uh, you know, uh, FM synthesis sound going on there. But there's just not lo- a lot happening in that music. No. It's like the melody <laughs> line and kind of like a don 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 rhythm going along with it. Not not a lot of depth to it. Right now, also realize that he may have gotten hired by the company, and they might have just been like, "So uh, yeah, we're releasing this game tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you write us some music? Yeah, can I? <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, his, a better example of his early strong work for Square would be. A PC-88 game called Alpha, which I also don't know if it's any good, but it sounds like listening to this uh, and researching this episode, I was struck by how many of his little Final Fantasy tricks it incorporates. Uh, overture in there, yeah. The well, not, theme not, not the overture, but there is that arpeggio. Yeah, and then, um, like, I mean, that 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 could almost be taken straight from Final Fantasy V. That that mm. whole piece of music, absolutely. Yeah, it's like the Final Fantasy V main theme, basically. Different melody, but the style, oh, yeah. even like the the chords and the phrasing of it is very yep. like, yeah. So so clearly, like his his sensibilities and temperament were 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 in place. I mean, that was his second project production for. Square Enix, and like you said, the first one might have been just him saying or being told, "Oh yeah, we got to get this out. Hurry up and write something for it." Yeah, this is just pure speculation, but I wonder how much of his personal sensibilities ended up being informed by the technology at his disposal. Like, I'm sure that he had his own style when he went in, but like, obviously, he had to use the technology that was at his disposal. So it was like. I wonder how much of his style just became informed by all the tricks that he was had to use. Yeah, I mean, again, he got into this very young, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, his first—I I imagine this was really his first professional, you know, full-time gig doing music. So instead of just composing, yeah, for radio or whatever it was, like he he had to use, you know, computers. And so, what do you do? But you start. You know, you create what you can create with the technology that you have. Yeah, you see him so branch out a lot. A lot, quite a bit later, but yeah, he was using really simple melodies and like overlaying them and like a couple of things together. But it was like he was like, "Well, this works, so I might as well be reusing it in various places." And it continues; it's like a thread all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say this is uh, where his love of progressive rock really <laughs> helped him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you look at some of the big bands that he's even cited as inspirations, like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, or Rush, those are trios. And they are three people making enormous sounds as three people. Mm. And if you look at the Famicom and the NES, it had four sound channels. One of them was usually used for sound effects. So he was working in three channels. So he could look at the tricks of of groups like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and say, like, how did, you know, just this small group of people create such an enormous sound live, you know, mm-hmm. without multi-tracking and that sort of thing. So stuff like the the RPG of the do 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 
like lots of quick notes and things like that create a, a sense of like there's more happening here than actually just one sound channel. So um, yeah, I think like you can you can see his influences, stuff like Uriah Heep at work in uh, in his music right away. So that's uh, that's part of the charm for me. Is you know mm. I like that kind of music. So like I can hear it in his music. Right. It's, it's, right. Uh, it's, I, I've been listening to a lot of new wave music, and every new wave song starts with like a Final Fantasy bass battle music baseline. I found <laughs> like no 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 no. That's like every the start of every new wave song is Final Final. I'm like, oh, they're gonna fight monsters now. Oh wait, they're a bunch of guys in suits. Never mind. Well, that's Final Fantasy 15. Oh right, hey, it's Gary Gary Newman RPG. They are in cars. So uh, Umatsu's first, uh, I think his first Famicom NES composition was 3D World Runner. Ah, okay. Which, uh, that, that's what that, that sample was I just mm-hmm. played. It's much uh, simpler and jauntier than than uh, something like Alpha. Alpha was kind of a graphical adventure game. 3D World Runner is a dopey kind of over-the-shoulder sh- the, the third-person action shooter um, and kind of like a basically a big space harrier ripoff. Uh, so it's interesting that... He was, you know, able to adapt his style so so dramatically. Like I would not hear the three D World Runner soundtrack and think, "Oh, that's the guy who did Alpha," mm-hmm. or the guy who did Final Fantasy. But at the same time, it reminds me of the kind of music that will play in a Final Fantasy when during a comedic bit. Right. Oh, that's right. True. When he's yeah. being kind of silly. Yeah, very slapsticky. Kind of a grand fantasy sweeping uh, epic. What game do you think that's from? <sighs> I know, but I'm cheating. Yeah, oh, me really? Too. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm looking at Bob's. Is is it King's Knight or? No, it's Aliens Two. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, it sounds like Legacy of the Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It sounds kind of generic, to be honest. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I, I could play you a few other of, of these early tracks, but the the idea is all the same. Like. It's there's a little bit of Uematsu, like oh I recognize that, and then a little bit of like uh, right. You can hear his yeah. various tropes coming through in these different games. Like you don't, you haven't played King's Knight, but it sounds like the overworld theme in a Final Fantasy yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that, I mean he he exceeded expectations in everything he did, but I think the expectations were far less back then. Like you, the, the the music doesn't need to be good; it just needs to be there. But and that's what he did. I don't know. When I was listening to game, when I was playing games back in those days, I did notice the music, mm-hmm. like. I I just wanted it to be catchy, right? Because they would become these little earworms, and I'd be like, kind of bopping them along to them. And I'd be yeah, like, this making up is your own great. lyrics. I yeah, and I mean, you know, we're we're listening to this Uematsu music, and we're kind of comparing it to his later music. But if you compare it to what else you were listening to on a PC at that time, it might have been terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the main thing was be catchy. And don't be obtrusive. It has to be the sort of thing you can listen to, um, you know, a hundred times repeating in a row and not get tired of. Exactly. Yeah, ABC, I mean, always be catchy. <laughs> game music back then did not tend to be so great. You know, around 1985, 86, people started to get more serious about compositions. But up until that point, I mean, great music was something like the Elevator Action soundtrack, which was just a little simple do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, mm-hmm. just a very simple ditty. Or characters had musical feet. Like yeah, Dug. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So guys like Uematsu were introducing complexity where there was no complexity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The the idea of 
a game soundtrack that wasn't just arrangements of, you know, green sleeves and uh, other, you know, public domain music, Amazing Grace or something. Mm-hmm. That was pretty great. Like, hey, they, someone actually composed music for this and it's not terrible. Final Fantasy launched in Japan in December of 1987, about a year and a half after Dragon Quest, and clearly was heavily inspired, as so many games were, by Dragon Quest mm-hmm. and its success, but probably did the best job of not just recapturing you know, what it was that people liked about Dragon Quest, but then building on that and creating its own distinct new experience. And I do think the music was a big part of that. Um, Final Fantasy had a lot of different uh, melodies. It had a lot of really good melodies. Um, and, and basically, the soundtrack you hear with Final Fantasy seven or the soundtrack you hear with Final Fantasy in 1987 mm. um, really sets the tone for the entire franchise's audio mix. Like, all the little... I mean, there are pieces that show up in almost every Final Fantasy game that debut here, but also just, like, themes and motifs and styles kind of become trademarks of the series. That's a pretty impressive work. What really strikes me is how well it all holds up. Like, when I was playing Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy, like, I wouldn't say that I have a ton of experience with the original NES games. Um, I experienced them mostly through the remakes um, much later. Um, But I was really surprised how the 8-bit compositions were frequently some of my favorite music in Theater Rhythm to play because they were the catchiest, they were the most fun, they were the most energetic. Yeah, they were kind of simplistic compared to some of the later stuff, but it worked really well in a rhythm game like that. Yes. Um, and I'm not quite sure, like, how much of that. It's like, could could they have taken stuff from Cruise Chaser Blast? Well, probably not. But, like, mm-hmm. King's Night or whatever and dropped that into theater rhythm and, and had us, you know, enjoy that as well. Like, is it – did the quality of the music – change perceptibly for Final Fantasy 7 or, or Final Fantasy 1987 or or is it or is it the case that because we played those games we have more of a connection to it but you know for me certainly like I I didn't I definitely didn't play Final Fantasy 2 on the Famicom I haven't really played that much of Final Fantasy 2 I always I always try to play Final Fantasy 2 it's a mess right but it has amazing music, a lot of which I know because it's been referenced so much in other games. And also because I've just bought all the Final Fantasy albums and listened to them. Um, I, I really, with Final Fantasy 2 and and especially, you know, like 3 on the Famicom, like my appreciation of the music for those games is very much in a vacuum mm-hmm. because I have no nostalgic attachment to either game. And even Final Fantasy 1, like... I mean, I've played. I mean, well, I've beaten Final Fantasy One because of the like, the Wonder Swan and the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like on the NES, I would get up to the Marsh Cave and just be like, "Forget it." Yeah, I I, th- I feel like the the strength of Final Fantasy, the NES game, the first one, is the sheer one of the, its strengths is its sheer breadth of music. It, it it encompasses a lot of different styles. I mean, you can definitely tell as as the game was. Um, the soundtrack was inspired in a lot of ways by the soundtrack of Dragon Quest, but then it 
turned it into its own thing. Sugiyama with Dragon Quest was really going for kind of like a classical chamber music style. Um, and Uematsu has some of that, like, you know, some of the castle town music, uh, you know, Corneria Castle, like that is very much sort of, you know, like I could hear a four piece, like a dude with a cello and violin playing that. But then you also have stuff like the battle theme, which has a heavy rock influence. Um, you know, the uh, like Gurgu Vol- Volcano and Matoya's Cave, like those are very kind of uh, up-tempo compositions that have kind of multiple parts going on. And they really do hearken more to like 70s and progressive rock and that sort of thing. So it, it's it's got a lot of different styles happening. And um, it, it's... It all kind of fits the game, though. I mean, there is um, kind of like a heavy metal element to the uh, to the character illustrations, the the enemy illustrations that mm-hmm. uh, Yoshitaka Amano came up with. Yeah, and then you have like you know the the story end, ends up going into like a futuristic space with the uh, the, the the sky castle or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, and it has time travel involved. So it's fitting that this fantasy RPG doesn't have just you know like baroque music it, yeah. it, it goes in a lot of different directions right 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 yeah final fantasy definitely split from dragon quest very early on in terms of i mean really i mean even with like the the very beginning of final fantasy what do you do but you go and you rescue a princess from the, you know, the evil you know guy in his castle and you bring her back uh, and then then you see the title screen of the game and it's very clear that it's just like no we're not doing this you know, straightforward Dungeons and Dragons fantasy RPG, like we're doing something else. Um, and that's always been the hallmark of the Final Fantasy games is that they kind of go to weird places for sure. And Uematsu was scoring this game that had so many distinct, different stylistic influences and then, um, you know, was was being very diverse in terms of the, the, the influences that he was bringing to it. But then also, finally, he was not... Um, uh, writing the background music to action, but he was scoring a storyline. And that I think is the sort of the mental shift there. It was Mm -hmm. like producing music that is going to underscore a certain storyline that is happening and bringing out emotions that are more than just like run forward. And I also think um, going hand in hand with that is the fact that it was not an action game, meaning he had more room to work with in terms of the sound channels. Like with with action games, you know, it's something you really notice with like Mega Man 4 where you you suddenly have like this constant charge shot that you're holding up. So there's like <laughs> occupying one of the sound channels. Um, you don't have, you know, explosions and, and jumping and shooting and bombs and monsters and that sort of thing mm-hmm. happening constantly in the soundtrack. So he could actually dabble in, you know, more of the sound channels Knowing that, you know, when you're walking around a town, um, there might be like a little blip as you scroll forward through the text. But <laughs> otherwise, it's it's pretty much everything is happening in a vacuum. It's happening in silence. So he could afford to be more complex and make greater use of the uh, the audio capabilities of the hardware without having to worry about the action cutting into it. I mean, it, it, the, the, the loudest the series or the, the game really gets is in combat where you have uh, like just the little sound effects of a sword going... Or a spell mm. going, or a monster going, dink. I think know. it's in Final Fantasy. Some things like that. Maybe only in Final Fantasy One when you open, uh, when you talk to someone, when the text window opens, it goes. I wonder if that was was that <laughs> yeah. his decision. Do you think? I don't know. It seems it, weird. He probably, probably was. Probably didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't know. It was kind uh, of... Usually the composers were also the sound designers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that showed up in any other game, but it always struck me as like an odd choice. Like the the window opening made a noise and closing made a noise. Mm. Like it was weird. 
two of the most enduring pieces of Final Fantasy made its debut here. There was the the crystal theme, which everybody mm-hmm. will like just know if they've played Final Fantasy. And then also the main theme, which is very Star Wars-y in a way, because you're seeing like the text coming down, telling you, here's everything that's going on. It's setting the scene. It's getting you ready. And this music's playing, and it's charging you up. And you're like, yes, I'm going on an adventure, and I'm really excited. The first time I really experienced that was in Final Fantasy IV, of course. But it really got to start on the original Final Fantasy. I think that became the uh, de facto nerd wedding march. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to call anyone out. Did anyone actually use that at their wedding? Any of our married Uh, friends? No. Okay. I haven't been married yet. (laughs) So, but as a fanfare, it's just I don't know why it gets it gets me going. It's like, oh yes, okay, I'm ready to go out and Mm -hmm. into the wide world and just start killing some monsters. Which is interesting because then. they eventually pulled back on using it at the beginning of yeah. the, the games. It became a I triumphant thing. It, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that actually, um, yeah, I think Final Fantasy VII kind of deliberately shifted its use of of those standard themes in the game as a way of kind of demarking, like, this is a different kind of Final Fantasy. Right. Like, this is a scary techno-future Final Fantasy, and you don't get yeah. to hear the prelude until I know, you beat the funny. game. I know, it's funny. It's like, no, this is not your father's Final Fantasy. It's like, yeah. you, are, you are the same well, people making this game. <laughs> the crystal yet. theme was in Final no. Fantasy VII's credits. Um, right, right, right. 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 When you started. Different, right. right. Yeah. Or, no, I'm wrong. Oh, whatever. I don't know when it was, but it was either way, it was used in a different type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, of course, the difference between the, the crystal theme and the, uh, or the, the prelude, as it's called, or the, and the, um, the, the Final Fantasy, which is the name of the, the main theme, is that Final Fantasy, the main theme, was, I mean, I think Uematsu really labored over that versus um, Prelude, which was uh, uh, composed like just in a half scale, an, yeah. Well, actually, he had a half an hour to, to do it. Um, Sakaguchi, he tells the story of Sakaguchi coming in saying, uh, oh yeah, you know we need an extra piece of music uh, for the for the beginning when like the text is scrolling. So if you do that in like thirty minutes, that'd be great. The thing is, like I think that composition eventually got more complicated in further games because it was just the arpeggios in the first game, and then they, they added, added the, that melody. The counter yeah, melody. Yep. yeah. I think yep. that was Final Fantasy IV that that changed it, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it well, and, and that you know that too with Final Fantasy IV, the fact that like you let the the music cycle a little bit, and then the counter melody comes in. That was a really nice indicator, like, oh, this is the Super Nintendo, <laughs> yeah. because they changed the crystal theme, and now it has this this nice little. This whole it, it, this is just the beginning, and now it grows and grows. Yeah, but yeah. Going but going back to the Final Fantasy theme, um, you know, that you mentioned sort of not it's not a cutscene, but the image that shows on the screen that has the, like the silhouettes of the heroes and the moons in the background and the castle and everything in four. Yeah, uh, no, in Final Fantasy one. Oh, oh just yeah, the yeah. text, right? No, oh, no, no. no it, yeah. one, when you when you create the bridge, when you go over the bridge, right, yeah. you yeah. can play that. Uh, then it has tile the game. silhouettes, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, that one. <laughs> Yeah, so to me, um, that also kind of speaks of Final Fantasy's other influences and ambitions. That's, that one scene is very much like something you would have seen 
in some EGA PC R- RPG, mm. and uh, like the music also kind of reminds me of something you would have you would have seen, and you know, some uh, some RPG like I don't know King's Quest or something. I guess that's not an RPG, but you know what I'm talking about, like kind of the classic Western PC RPG, um, mm. just to kind of set the the mode. So it, it, that 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 right there is kind of like saying, hey, this isn't just Dragon Quest. Like mm-hmm. if you were savvy to Western RPGs at that point, you would have been like, hmm, hey, interesting. Someone's kind of kind of doing that thing here. Yeah, and, and I mean the fact that, like, again, you don't see the title screen, that that is the title screen, and you do not see it until, like, what, an hour or more into the game, you know? Depends on how intimidated you are by Garland. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's like they You can do it in, like, ten minutes now yeah, if you know the game. But. Yeah, but, like, they're reaching. You know, they're really, they're really reaching and trying to create something new and different and cinematic at that point. You could really tell. It would take them a while to get there. Maybe they never, they never quite got there. They never quite did, I think, what they wanted to do with Final Fantasy. It was always like, it was always sort of just on the edge of of creating like this, you know, phenomenal sort of like movie presentation type game. And and when they finally got there, you know, games had moved on and Final Fantasy had moved on. Well, I don't know. I feel like Seven kind of kind of hit that mark. Um, okay, Mr. 12 Polygon Cloud with his mm-hmm. smiley face, you know, like... But they, they got the integration. If you're talking about, like, in terms of, you know, like, visual quality, sure. But, mm. yeah. But, you know, I think I think they worked really well within the limitations of the times, and... I think there were individual moments that were really cinematic and amazing. I mean, if you just look mm. at Final Cut, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there are individual moments where it really did hit a peak. Yeah, yeah, there, I mean... Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, again, if we're on, if we're almost to Final Fantasy IV, which I think we are, right? Mm-hmm. Getting there, sort of. Well, we'll get there soon. Yeah, we should okay. be. Yeah. Okay. I mean. Okay. When are we going to get to the fireworks are... factory? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, the, the you do have those those great moments, especially more as you get towards the Super Nintendo, where, you know, the thing you're doing and the storyline and the particular piece of music that are playing all sort of combine um, to create a really interesting moment. Maybe, you are getting I mean, ahead of the, the, the Yeah, the because Final Fantasy, because Final Fantasy one was not so much on the storyline and, you know, was not so much about the characters. Yeah, that was more two. You didn't really have, yeah, you didn't really. But when I look back at one, like I, I underestimated like how ambitious it was. Yeah, it has like a really crazy storyline. Yeah, no, and yeah, you know, I think that's probably influenced by Ultima, but that's okay. I think that that goes a long way toward explaining why Final Fantasy seemed to find a lot more purchase in the U.S. than Dragon Warrior, Um, and the soundtrack kind of ties into that. It's not generic fantasy. Like people look at. It's unfair to say of that of Dragon Quest, obviously, but when people looked at Dragon Quest, they were like, oh, this is whatever. This is." They also saw a very D&D. old game, too. And they yeah. saw a very old game, but Final Fantasy was like, whoa, what is this? Like, this is going crazy places for an NES Well, game. nothing, you know, were, I mean, like, in, shrieking. In the U.S., <laughs> nothing really picked up until Final Fantasy VII, which really absolutely did have its own striking um, sort of, like, not only visual style, but just, like, just storyline. Well, like, yeah. By the time we got to Final Fantasy VII, it was really Final Fantasy. It wasn't It wasn't Dungeons and... It was no... It had shed all of the Dungeons and Dragons off of it, and it was its own thing. Yeah. It was spiky hair. So, so anyway, yeah. back to Nobu Uematsu. We've, we've been We're talking just about trying Nobu so the hard whole time. to get up to seven, aren't we? No, 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 no. I, I want to get to six. Oh, uh, I want to go to four. <laughs> okay, hang on. There's one thing.
Hey, it's my first RPG. Yeah. Saga. Saga. All right, Legend. yeah. Yeah, before, uh, before the Super NES came along, Uematsu, you know, made more Final Fantasy soundtracks, worked on Rad Racer, uh, but he also kind of stepped in and, and worked on uh, Square's first Game Boy games, mm-hmm. which were Final Fantasy Legend 1 and 2. And uh, the Game Boy had more capable sound hardware than the NES, so he got to stretch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got to work in stereo. That's very exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. Better sound channels. But um, Final Fantasy Legend is, is maybe the first time, you know, Game Boy was new at that point. It might have been the first time anyone said, hey, what if we made really amazing music? come out of this <laughs> yeah. tiny little system, this little dinky black and white system. Right. Oh, yeah, because Saga was very early. Yeah, right? it was like just a couple of months after the launch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like three months. Right, right. So crazy. Yep. What strikes me, and I, I remember this, playing this in like 1992 or something, thinking, wow, this is really emotional. Like it made me feel emotional. Hmm. The, that music? Yeah, which yeah. is not something I And also I the can... confusing mechanics. Like that makes <laughs> me feel emotional. <laughs> there are plenty of... I don't remember Final Fantasy Legend super well, but I do remember that there were moments that you could say were tragic or sad. Yeah. And that was not something that I had really seen in a video game to that point. Right. And the music... Much less a Game Boy game. Yeah. Yeah, so the music really underscored that, and it stuck with me for a long time until mm. I truly became invested in, in the In that genre. game, don't you start off as a slave, like having to fight to the death in a coliseum no, or something? No, you're thinking Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Adventure. Adventure. Oh, that's it. Okay, I'm no, sorry. No, you're just Which, climbing a giant tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it. Final Fantasy Adventure, in and of itself, Tangent, had phenomenal music yeah. also. Just but wasn't that beautiful. That was Kenji Ito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Different guy. Yep. But, you know, it's okay to say that. <laughs> We're allowed to praise other musicians here. Yeah. Only if they work for Square. Yes. <laughs> you gotta let it go once. It's close. Right now. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> there it is. Wait for the drop. So mm-hmm. Final Fantasy IV. A, Final Fantasy IV is a musical feast. I mean, the especially the first, uh, the first like hour or two of Final Fantasy IV. Um, from the, I mean, let's assume that you linger on the title screen uh, for the first time before you jump in and make a game and you're listening to the the prelude and then you get that counter melody. Right. Um, and then it fades down yeah. and the story starts. Yes. Um, even, and, yeah. even if you don't press start, the story begins. Right. It, 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 it launches you into that that first, the opening scene, which of course, Final Fantasy Final Fantasy games had begun in Medias Res, like sort of in the middle of a story before. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly Final Fantasy 1, when you press, you, you create your character and it's just like, whoop, you know, and it's just sort of there. Um, but with Final Fantasy IV, I mean, beginning with this epic cutscene, mm-hmm. um, rather than, because I, I, I still think Final, well, Final Fantasy II was interesting because it began with a battle. Right. It began with a battle that you had to lose. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Uh, Final Fantasy three, I think, began with your it characters. It begins in the cave. It begins with your characters. You don't have to build your car- cave. characters because they're all the same. They're all the same. Uh, and then Final Fantasy four, but then yeah, yeah, Final Fantasy four. This is the first one that begins with like 
um, a really just elaborately crafted cutscene um, with the, the Red Wings music, which everybody loves. Right. I love yeah. the way it fades in. It sounds like you know you're yeah. you're 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 wrapping up this battle that you see in flashback, and it sounds like the music has already been going. Right. And it's almost like you've tuned in to an episode of something. <laughs> Meanwhile, and you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's really kind of amazing. There's a there's a right. few things and going on here. And also technologically, like right. I don't think the NES could fade in. No, mm. no. There there are a few things going on here, and the most important is that this was the advent of 16-bit hardware, and specifically the Super NES sound chip, mm. uh, which was some some composers don't like it. Yuzo Koshiro hates it, but for others, it was very liberating. And the uh, the Super NES sound chip was very unique. It was developed by Sony. And it didn't use waveforms. There was no synthesis happening. It was not generating sound. It was playing sound samples. So it had a great built-in library of audio. But even more than that, you could integrate your own sound samples. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't, we didn't really see Uematsu do that too much until uh, Final Fantasy VI, mm. where he made amazing use oh, of man. it. But you know, even using sort of the default strings and bass guitar, the like you know, it it had this unique sound style, yeah. and he really harnessed yeah. that. And it, it's interesting because some of the best music on Super NES arrived at the very dawn of the Super NES. You had games like ActRaiser, mm-hmm. Super Castlevania Four, Final Fantasy Four, and all of them used radically different styles. Like finally, Super Castlevania Four was like this jazzy, mm-hmm. improvisational style, very muted. ActRaiser was like John Williams bombastic. Uh, orchestral scores. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's an arranged album that sounds almost exactly like it should be in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Final Fantasy IV was Uematsu, you know, squared. It was basically like all all the stuff he had mm-hmm. done in Final Fantasy one through three, yeah, then amped up and just taken to an entirely new level. What mm-hmm. Chris was saying earlier about the con- the counter melody of the prelude theme being like uh, showing showing off the Super Nintendo processing power or the music chip or whatever, I really heard it when we heard that clip because it's like that the arpeggios sound very sparse, but then like when the counter melody starts, like the music hits you like a like a wall of water, like a, like a rush of music just hits you, and it's so lush. I really like it. Mm-hmm. So then, you, so you get that. Um, you go through uh, the whole beginning. I mean, you know, the the entirety of the opening of Final Fantasy um, two or four, Final Fantasy four rather. Um, and uh, you you get introduced to Cecil and Rosa's the, you know theme of love. Um, you know, you you you. I don't know if you hear Sid's theme. Sid shows up, but it's like you you get a whole lot. You start to you start to get the character themes. Mm-hmm. You start to get the the light motifs, as it were, that are going to recur later on throughout the game. And this light motif is an important word for Uematsu Indeed. in the 16-bit era. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because the, the the characters in the Final Fantasy games started becoming so important that he started writing, you know, pieces just for them. Mm-hmm. Um, thus underscoring our connection with those characters uh, and being able to sort of heighten the emotions of scenes if those characters were to uh, die or whatnot. Um, but once you go through that first, you know, little bit and you kind of get your mission and you, and you get sent out, you know, the Final Fantasy theme, the main theme, kicks in during another cutscene um, when Cecil and Kane are leaving the castle. And that's when it gets a dun, 
you know, and 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 then again, it it fades out to another one of those sort of like you know exposition um, text mm. on a text on a, 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 a dusky sky that lets uh, you know scene. that this is an epic tale. Yeah, that's that's just beginning now. And of course, they're they're crossing a bridge. I think people have. Refer- I, I remember back in the day, the bridge people, theme, the bridge theme mm. because that's the, the song that Final Fantasy Five bridge. Yeah, because of the battle of the because big the, bridge. Yes, but of course, we didn't that's realize that until much later. Um, but yeah, the bridge theme. Which was only because we had Final Fantasy One, we had Final Fantasy Two. We didn't know what anything was called because we didn't know right. any of the soundtracks because we're Americans, right. and we just oh you know the theme, the song that plays when they're crossing the bridge. But then they do that, and then and then the fir- the next thing you do is you walk across the world map, which also has great music, and you go into the the cave that's going to take you to the to the village of Mist. That was where Final <laughs> Fantasy IV hit me. Yes! Me too! I stopped playing yes! and turned up my TV as loud as I could before the tiny little monaural speaker exploded yep. and just listened in and thought, did they put a tiny Danny Elfman in my computer? Yeah, and not only that, but like, okay, so you're playing on the Super Nintendo. Uh, Final Fantasy IV, probably not exactly a huge graphics workhorse for, for the Super Nintendo. I mean, Final Fantasy VI nope. later on would be just ridiculous but with Final Fantasy 4 you at least you started out with some mode 7 you know the map was in mode 7 so it's like oh that's cool um, the title screen itself was pretty impressive uh, you get into the Cave of Mist and you get the the translucency effect mm-hmm. um, the the sort of like you know sort of half see through but not entirely see through mist going over the cave you're already kind of amped up because you're going on this adventure and you go into a dungeon and what you expect from this dungeon is the sort of dungeon like you know do sort of music or whatever but it's not that it's it's, it's not sweeping theme yeah these these beautiful str- you know this is the first area of the game with enemies like you're finally being challenged and this ridiculously beautiful music me too same thing i had to stop i just had to stop i was just like oh my this is amazing mm. like the I'd stuff i'd only ever done that once before with game music and that was with i want to say metal man stage in Meta- mega man yeah. 2 because I was just like, oh, there's so much going on. There's like this little, like quiet, like this is kind of buzzing theme in the background. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting. But this was on a whole different level. Yep. I, I think that Final Fantasy IV is a good place to highlight how important music can be to a battle system or battles in an RPG. Because if you don't have a good battle theme, then eh. you hear that battle theme a lot. Yeah, yeah. it better be great. thing you the first spot the regular monsters like it's like run an adventure like we can deal this this is cool you know it's bright it's a very bright theme yeah and then you when you fight a boss it's actually one of my favorite boss themes even though it's not that complicated it's just like uh oh things have really gotten real here's a big monster 
This is really exciting. It's a mm-hmm. little repetitive, mm-hmm. but it's exciting is the thing. But and then you get to the four fiends one where it's like, okay, now things are really bad and you are doomed and you're screwed. And it's really effective, for example, with the first time you, you meet the first four of the four fiends who shows up and you're like, okay, this guy's clearly powerful. You get the regular boss theme. You're like, okay, I'm fighting him. This is, I'm taking him out. All right, I beat him. Yes, I'm awesome. But, and that's the first time you hear the right. four fiends yeah. music and you're like, dead. oh, crap. It's almost, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost operatic because it like mm-hmm. starts with this feeling of dread and then it picks up to like slightly triumphant before it starts looping again. So it's like sort of like maybe predicting like the moves of the battle or at least trying to like, I don't know fit with the tough battle you're fighting at the moment. Yeah, the idea of multiple battle themes was not too common in video games it, at this it point. It still isn't. No. <laughs> uh, but but Final Fantasy IV really went all in on it. You, you mentioned three of the battle themes. Golbez had his own battle theme, or his own theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a battle theme for the, the final fight with Zemus and Zeromus. Yeah. Um, and then, then again, there are also these... battles with diegetic music. Like, you go into the fight with the music that's already playing, right. and it creates the sense of a scene. And you know, that, that really ties into the, the sort of play influence and style that Takashi Tok- uh, Tokita uh, wanted to bring to the game mm-hmm. uh, of creating like this is a, you know, a video game play. Yeah. And it really does feel like a stage production at that point and, and becomes much more, like the music is not just the music that happens to be playing while you're playing this video game. It is scored to the scene. It is an essential part right. of the experience and, and some, really yeah. underscores everything. And sometimes that means different, you know, like different enemies having different music to underscore that this is a very important enemy. Sometimes it, it absolutely means like when, um, you know, when you get into a, you know, it's like sometimes in Final Fantasy games you get into a fight with somebody you really don't want to be in a fight with and you're just like, oh God, I right. wish I didn't have to attack this person. And that's when it just sort of carries their theme through the battle. It's just really, it wakes you up to, hey, you know, because... You know, we pay very close attention to our Final Fantasy games, but they're probably, you know, not not everybody does, you know, and it's like it sort of wakes you up to like, hey, something's going on here that like, you know, you need to be paying attention right. to. And they, they can also use that for, you know, the, the change in music. Uematsu used it um, to like set a mood or kind of like what Kat said, you know, to say, oh, no, now the battle's serious. Like with the uh, the doll battle, the Calbrena, yeah. where it starts out with like this kind of weird, creepy organ music yep. and you're fighting it and then – like the the battle shifts and the ba- the boss theme kicks in and you're like okay finally yeah. right. now I can beat the thing. I was thinking yeah. of when you're fighting. I think it's the dark elf and you you're fighting him to the to the tune of uh, Gilbert's like harp theme. It's like this very very like beautiful but kind of sullen theme. It's not like a rousing battle theme. Mm-hmm. I think it would be remiss if we didn't briefly discuss the final boss theme, which I think is kind of the first time that Uematsu really cuts loose mm. because I mean he does this you know several times more. Uh, but this is the first time where it was like, all right, you're in the final boss battle. You're fighting Zeramis or Chaos, basically. Time to, like, really just go crazy with the music. And he, like, I'm, I can't remember the music super well right now. All right, here we go.
throughout the entire 25 years that Jeremy and I have been doing Retronauts together, um, <laughs> we I think we've always, whenever we talk about Final Fantasy music, Jeremy is always like, oh, but you know, Final Fantasy is really prog rock, and I'm like, no, 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 it's it's you know, it's Celtic music, and the 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 actual um, what's going on here is that Uematsu is clearly a fan of both, yeah, and that Final he likes Fantasy, Renaissance basically, yeah, and Final Fantasy is like this this fun mix of prog rock and like world music, or you know, or, or folk music or Celtic music, mm-hmm. and it's it, that's that is the unique musical um, sort of like canvas of Final Fantasy is that mixing of those two genres and then everything else in the world, but those two very particularly. So, um, so Kat, what were you saying about the, the final battle theme of Final Fantasy IV? Well, one thing that he likes to do is he starts out really slowly where it's like, oh, it's building up. There's a bit of dread coming in. And then you go to the really fast, like exciting um, rock theme, which uh, I, I think is very effective and it's something yeah. that he does a few more times, was he, like, especially doing, in Final Fantasy VIII. Was he like doing organ organ scales in the, in the beginning of that song? Like, because that, that's like a staple for me of like a big bad boss in Final Fantasy. Just like you hear like an organ solo first. Like Final Fantasy VI's boss music has that, and, so, and Dancing Mad opens with a like crazy organ solo. No, th- that one doesn't. But mm. but yeah, you're you're totally right. Like the the kind of uh, you know like cathedral organ. Hey, the church is fighting you now. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a staple there. So, Kohler, you want to talk about arranged albums? Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy IV. You want to talk about Celtic Moon, basically. A little bit, yeah. I mean, A little bit. Absolutely. Like, I mean, that was... I, Celtic Moon was not the first uh, album that I bought. I had bought um, Prey, Final Fantasy Prey, which was the vocal uh, themes from one through six. Or, you know, just like newly... The album we need just to make it today. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Newly written uh, vocal versions of songs from Final Fantasy one through six. And I bought... Oh, jeez. I'm getting so old I forget the other album that I bought. Maybe – no, it wasn't Celtic Moon. It wasn't. Oh, jeez. What did I – oh, uh, um, Symphonic Suite. Um, I had that. I'm also old, Chris. I got that in the late 90s on a cassette tape from a bootlegger online. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so I had those two and then Celtic Moon I got pretty shortly thereafter. Um, and But Celtic Moon was really like – that was that was Uematsu going to Ireland. This was the Final Fantasy IV arranged album. Um, and he went to Ireland and worked with – um, really, it's a, a you know total murderer's row of just great, great accomplished Irish musicians, um, and and pulled that together, um, and that was that was fantastic. But that was the first time that there was an arranged album that had a very specific theme, like everything was oriented um, around one genre of music, and it was a, it was a concept album. Um, he had done previously uh, the Final Fantasy one and two uh, like concert album. Um, which was, I think it was like, I think that that Symphonic Suite that what you mentioned, Bob, was actually like, I don't think it was a concert you could buy tickets for. I think it was an invitation-only thing for mm. the recording of that album, okay. I think. Um, and then there was the Final Fantasy III album, which um, if you've ever heard the Final Fantasy III arranged album, it has great music punctuated by somebody telling the story of Final Fantasy III in oh. English. It's really weird. But if you get beyond the weird narration, uh, the music is very good. But again, it's 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 just it's it's pretty straightforward orchestral 
uh, Final Fantasy three music. Um, Celtic Moon was where it was like, oh, let's just get a like a, a session of Irish players together to do Final Fantasy four and to really have them arrange it. Um, and to take it in different directions. Um, and it was all very, you know, cohesive. And then from then on, you know, I think you saw Uematsu and really video game arranged albums in general kind of branching out into, okay, well, let's do this in a, you know, let's let's theme this around something rather than just sort of straightforward, do better versions of the music. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to keep selling the same music over and over, you got to come up with new ways to sell it. Yep, yep. But Celtic Moon, we did, we played Celtic Moon at our wedding reception. Mm-hmm. So. Nothing wrong with that. I didn't mean to shame you, no. Chris. <laughs> you, would not, you would not know that that is video Nobody game music. Nobody walked down to the aisle to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you would I tr- not know that's video game music if you just heard it. I tricked my mom. I got her um, – I burned her a copy of the Final Fantasy VIII arranged soundtrack, and she loved it. Oh, like the piano? Yeah, and I didn't soundtrack? tell her it was from a video game. She wouldn't She wouldn't have flipped out on me or anything, but she was like, this is this guy's so great. Right, right. I, I had a romantic dinner with a girl to that music, mm. and she had no idea. Were her eyes on you? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. <laughs> But I was about as clumsy as women with uh, as Laguna was. Mm. So anyway, um, so after Final Fantasy IV, obviously there was Final Fantasy V. Well, and uh, stylistically, Uematsu didn't really go crazy with this one. It just kind of was like doubling down on everything he had doubled down on with Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. The the big thing I would say there with was Final also... Fantasy V was the really heavy use of the main theme. Which kind of tied into the structure of the game because, you know, the the world was broken into all these different versions of itself. Mm-hmm. So this music kind of repeated over and over again and set the stage for, like, where is the world now? Yes. Um, yeah, like all things with Final Fantasy V, it was the last. It was the last Final Fantasy where they kind of pulled back on the story. It was where they, they reverted again to, oh, this one is about uh, changing your characters' jobs. Therefore, the characters cannot be too um, rigidly defined as people because. Um, you know, Rosa was a white mage, right? Cecil, his whole arc was transforming from a dark knight into a paladin. Um, with Final Fantasy V, um, Bart uh, is going to be a white mage at one point and a dancer and a berserker, geomancer. So he really couldn't have a whole lot of backstory that tied him down to one particular um, uh, job title, essentially. Yeah, I feel like Final Fantasy V is the last rollicking Final Fantasy, the last one that's just like, it's a grand adventure. And I yep. love that the, the introductory Everybody get theme on Chocobo. that, that mm. plays yeah. over the title screen really, really just underscores that. It is such an upbeat, like, mm. let's have an adventure kind of music. Feels like yeah, an airship so theme, but it's the it's like the main theme. It's yeah. like a soaring like, like the whole yeah. game is an airship. Yeah. It's like the airship of happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't or I don't character challenges. I don't know if this is getting ahead of ourselves, but I really love the arranged album for this game, uh, Dear Friends. It has some beautiful stuff. I really like yeah. the the wedding waltz for some reason. It's like very very beautiful and like there's there's this like music box theme, which I think is the Dear Friends theme. Actually, it could be an acoustical guitar that's playing it, but I forget. But I mean, I just love this arranged album a lot. It's really good. Like many aspects of Final Fantasy V, it was kind of a acquired taste for me. But as I got older, I kind of came to appreciate. It, it was like, oh. 
Well, the battle scene, the battle themes aren't quite as bombastic as what you had in Final Fantasy IV, but maybe a bit more complex. And then, of course, there's stuff like Battle on the Big Bridge, which is one of my favorite Final Fantasy songs ever. Right. The organ intro, like yeah. the yeah. Another game that's crazy fun to play in theater rhythm. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it has so many different aspects and it's super fast, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's just crazy fun. Yeah, I love all the different arrangements of that one too. Like yeah. the one in Final Fantasy twelve, you almost don't recognize as Battle on the Big Bridge. There's a good one in Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, one thing I don't think we talked about yet is how each of these games has like a different interpretation of the Chocobo theme. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember which uh, what Final Fantasy V was, but there's always an interesting take on it, like of a different genre. Final Fantasy V was uh, Mambo, Mambo de Chocobo. Mambo, right? Yeah. Mods de Chocobo, Mambo de Chocobo, Techno de Chocobo. Mm-hmm. The only one I don't like is Fred Durst de Chocobo from Final <laughs> Fantasy oh, Thirteen no. too. No, that one's so good. <laughs> Would you like to ride my Chocobo? You remember when I pushed Jose around the office in a big box, screaming that song? It's so good. That was that one. Okay, you you salvaged the song. <laughs> yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah, there's not really that much to say about Final Fantasy V soundtrack. Um, probably the most interesting thing outside of Battle of the Big Bridge and Head on Our Way um, is the fact that X-Death's theme draws heavily on Carl uh, Orff and Carmina Burana mm. and is almost exactly the same as the intro to Sephiroth's battle mm. theme, One-Winged Angel. Mm-hmm. So there's like this kind of uh, a little bit of uh, Uematsu pillaging from others and himself with that one. <laughs> Any other thoughts on five? Um, yeah, I mean, geez, what was a nice musical moment? Uh, it's, uh, returning to uh, Bart's hometown, which happens much later in the game, and th- that has its own music, and I think that is Dear Friends. Mm. Um, was yeah. that, would that be Home Sweet Home? Is that the one you're thinking of? Oh, that, no, that's sorry. very Celtic. Yes. Home Sweet Home. Yeah, yeah, that, that has yeah, lyrics yeah. on Dear Friends. Yeah, Dear Friends, uh, they did um, uh, the, the recordings in Scandinavia somewhere, mm, I think, okay. so that's kind of what you get on that album, yeah. It really is nice just in general that, you know, Final Fantasy V, I mean, there was that huge span of time where it was never released in America, you know, but now I think looking, you know, now it's it's more kind of, you know, solidified in the canon of great Final Fantasy games and be able to appreciate that music and have people know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I mean, geez, I mean, you know, Uematsu took Dear Friends, you know, from Final Fantasy V and that's what he titled his whole concert series. Mm, that's right. So clearly a, a close connection with that one. Mm-hmm. 
So so five was a little, you know, kind of business as usual, not in a bad way, just, you know, iterating yeah. on kind of what he had laid down with Final Fantasy mm-hmm. IV. And again, what he was working with, he, he, there were not a whole lot of scenes in Final Fantasy V where, you know, oh, beloved character dies and, you know, or this happens or the world ends. You know, there wasn't a whole lot to really work with in terms of, like, really dramatic moments to accentuate. It was just a sort of a funky adventure. Mm-hmm. But with Final Fantasy VI, oh, as fitting the game, buddy. the the most you know epic RPG on Super NES to that point, or, or on any console really, mm-hmm. uh, you had an absolutely amazing soundtrack. Uh, they actually brought it to the U.S. and it was three discs long and just Kefka's domain. Every it's everything. <laughs> yep. That was the I, first game soundtrack ever. I, I have to say, you guys had your moment uh, with Uematsu music with the with the cave theme, and I did too. I mean, I, I took notice of that. But this mm-hmm. is the first. Um, Final Fantasy game or game period where I was recording uh, music off of my television with like a cassette deck. Mm-hmm. As crappy as that was, I wanted to hear these songs again. And like when I would play this game over and over, like, oh, it's Kefka theme. I'm not going to hear this again for a long time. I better record it. So uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. man, I love this. Uh, we, uh, I, I like, I feel like Uematsu. This was like his evil Knievel soundtrack. Like he, he, like so many songs in this game are like stunts. Like I'm gonna do a 20 minute ending theme incorporating <laughs> everyone's song. I'm gonna do a what like 12 minute boss theme, final boss mm-hmm. theme. I think it's more like 18. Oh wow, yeah, 16. Like, I feel like in terms of ambition, like this is a sweet spot. He has not topped this in my mind, and he's done great work since. But I feel like this is like at the top of his game as a composer, as a musician. As yeah, a... he really sets the tone like early on because initially there's not a lot of music, right? That's like, right. There's the sound of winter and everything, mm-hmm. and then you see what happens with Terra when she meets the Esper, and it's like shooting lightning at her, and Biggs and Wedge get vaporized. Yeah, and from a sound design perspective, to start uh, the game on just the sound of wind blowing, you yeah. know, in that scene is in and of itself, it's not what you expect. So right? I was wrong. They leave the cliff because they're looking down on Narche. Yeah. And then they leave the cliff, the and they're. Intro. Theme. Yeah, they're walking toward I love it, that theme too. and Tara's theme is playing. Yeah. We talked about how emotional his music is. That That's another great example mm-hmm. of it because her whole story is just pathos and sadness. So right. that really and at that sets point, the tone for the whole game. You don't know, it's, you don't know that it's Tara's theme yeah. at that point. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the music that's playing. Right. But it also, it actually forces you to slow down because you're watching the scene of the, the mechs, you know, tramping through the snow um, and the credits are rolling. So it actually does make you sort of like contemplate what's going on, you know, as they get closer and closer to the city. Yeah, there's. I mean, that's that's another really beautiful Super Nintendo moment for yeah, sure. Yeah, and again, like that, uh, like the Four Fiends music, it goes through different modes. Like it's very, it's very like somber, but then there's like a bit of triumphant, like there's like a triumphant like little part to it. Then it cycles again. So I feel like it, he's good at going through these different emotions. Like one song is not stuck in one mode forever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the switch from like da 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 into like da 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 da
yeah, uh, yeah. Just, you know, just just to let you know. I, I really feel like Final about. Fantasy VI existed at a very unique point for Uematsu and his composition because you know they were really expanding the <laughs> capabilities of the Super NES and. He was really kind of stretching out as a composer. At the same time, the technology was just limited enough that he had to keep everything kind of punchy and sort of limited. There was there was only so much he could do within that range. Mm. So you get him really kind of pushing at the boundaries of the technology and, and honestly, what people had done with video game music to that point. We weren't in. I mean, there were there were there were CD based consoles. Um, and maybe that was kind of an influence, like, like hearing the fact that you know other other consoles are able to incorporate more than just chiptune music, right? Um, so and, he was like, "Can Square, I do that with with yeah. sound samples?" And Square because it was really a one company, uh, you know, they were a one platform company. You mm-hmm. know, they picked their platform and they went with it. Um, you know, it was a big deal because that meant that since they just made Super Famicom stuff, that Uematsu never got to work with Redbook Audio, and that had been in play since 1988 when the when the PC engine cd came out you know and then his peers were able to just do whatever the heck they wanted and just write it onto a cd um and I, so but for you him, know he limitations really perfect... oh absolutely. limitations beget creativity sure like, yeah. a, a creative person being told you can't do this will say well you know what i'm gonna find the way to do as close to get as close to that as possible yep. within the limitations you've set me mm-hmm. i feel like there was a mini arms race in terms of like super famicom rpg music where like eventually star ocean which came out in 96 a few years after this had an entire like um vocal opening right right yeah, uh, like tales were... of fantasius oh that too yeah yeah, yeah yeah and you mentioned light motifs in terms of final fantasy 4 but Final Fantasy VI just blows it away. There are oh, like 16 playable characters, yeah. and each one has his or her own theme. Even Umaro. <laughs> yep, even, even the strange Eddie. <laughs> and it would highlight it, because like a character would appear... It'd be like, here's a character, and then the screen would go black behind them, and it would play their theme, yep. and you're like, and it would give the little introduction, like, oh, it's the the crazy thief, Locke, here mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, rename him if you want. Mm-hmm. But it's playing his theme, so it's like you know, giving you the flavor of the character. <laughs> that annoys exactly. me, too. <laughs> to the light motifs you also had um, kind of other recurring themes through the game and probably the most important is or the most interesting is Kefka's because yeah. it covers such a mm-hmm. wide range of styles like the first time you see it Kefka's this clownish foppish character that you can't really take seriously he's like freaking out and shrill and like you beat him pretty easily in combat mm-hmm. even though he's supposed to be powerful and the music in turn is like very goofy and kind of uh, how would you describe it? I 
feels like like a dark circus from hell. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. it's very, it's very clown like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he is a clown, so mm-hmm. like literally. But, but mm-hmm. it it has permutations through the game, and as he becomes, as he grows into the final villain and becomes a godlike character, you know, at the very end of the game, you're fighting him, and he's like an angel, and uh, his theme is playing. But instead of being like circus music, it is this like crazy dark organ rock progressive symphonic yeah theme what is that what is like that blowing your mind what is that kind of dancing where it's like two people are like clung together and the guy's got like a rose in his teeth and they're like they're like doing these dramatic steps across the floor what <laughs> is that flamenco that's what it kind of sounds like like the the final battle theme no uh the kefka theme oh, oh, like oh, yeah, the yeah. way that at least a few modes of it yeah like like a like a mad like waltz or something like mm-hmm. that yeah i mean yeah. there actually is flamenco in final fantasy 9 mm. like it's, he finally gets to that but um, it's also a great juxtaposition of whenever he's doing something really really evil like when he's poisoning the water supply or yeah. at the end when he's like shooting lasers across the the landscape of the world and y- you just get this it really drives home how insane he is. And uh, another another really important thing Uematsu did with this soundtrack was to use original sound samples. I don't know how much of the game consists of the, how much of the soundtrack consists of original sound samples, but the most memorable and iconic scene from the game probably uh, is entirely based around audio like vocal samples. Mm. Oh, the, yeah. the opera. Sure. So you have. I mean, it, it's silly. It's like. Yeah. It doesn't age well, but at the time, like it was as close as you could get to your Super NES singing to you. No, and it was you, a huge you part Super of the Nintendo story. Nintendo could actually sing to you if you yeah. wanted to use like tons of memory. Sure. Yeah. Realistically, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah it yeah. should have been a disaster, but it actually yeah. has held up pretty well. Mm-hmm. like trying to replicate kind of vocal samples using the SNES sound chip, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, for its time was really awesome. But, I mean, the fact that you can listen to it now and still kind of be moved, like, really speaks to how well executed both the scene and the actual, like, music actually was. Even at the time, we, we, you know, it sounded ridiculous, like they were gargling, you know? Like, it was like, okay, this is kind of funny, but, like, the... But the the music was so good. The music was so fantastic, and the melodies were so good, and what was was going on, it's like, oh, my God, this is... Really? Like, I've never seen a video game talk about light. You talk about leitmotifs, they Mm -hmm. bring it back later when, in the true world, Sid dies, and Celeste is going to kill herself by throwing off the... Throwing herself off the cliff. Yep. Only if you do a bad job of fishing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I fed him the poisoned fish. I'm a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, like that that, that sequence is really uh, a standout and really helps define, you know, a character who until that point has been a little sort of ambiguous 
and uh, it, it advances the plot, and it does so in a very movie-like way. I, I, you know, people say cinematic, and they always mean like sweeping camera pans and things like that. But in this case, it's cinematic in the sense that this scene cuts back and forth, and there is action happening in the background as the the focus shifts. Like you, you go through the opera sequence with Celis. Uh, you know, pretending to be Maria, the uh, the opera singer, and then once you get through that part, and you know she's done her job, then the action shifts over to your current hero, or is it is it necessarily Saban, or is it just whoever having your lead party? I think you need Locke, okay, but you can yeah. just bring along whoever else. So yeah. anyway, yeah, and then you like fight out this battle, and the the opera is happening beneath you, and the music from the opera is playing. It's just it's just such an ambitious and inventive interpretation, and like. You know, RPGs have a lot of potential to take you to places you've never seen before, but this was uh, this was just an incredibly inventive use of, of storytelling in a video game, and the music is such a key part of it. I also like the fact that um, with the uh, the concert series that Uematsu does or was doing a few years back, uh, there's like a complete opera in it because mm-hmm. the explanation was, you know, the the opera gets interrupted in the game by Ultros, but you know what? What if you could actually hear the opera all the way out? So there's a there's like a concluding song to it that he created. So that was kind of cool. I you know a song that's kind of underrated, but that I really like the Atma weapon music that uh, plays when you're on the the broken the floating continent. And when it plays, you really think at that moment, okay, like I am like near the end of this game. Like I've yeah, like sure. I'm reading reaching the conclusion, and the Atma weapon music really for the lack of a better word, epic, but also reminiscent of the final boss music from Final Fantasy IV, mm. which is kind of like a red herring in, term, in musical terms, like, oh, here we go. This is like one of the final boss battles. We're, it's on now, but of course it's not. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're definitely, they're definitely trying to get you to think like, oh, this is sort of a short game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if only the poster that came with the game hadn't spoiled the fact that there was a second world to it. It's, well, it still fooled kind of, me that kind for some of, reason. Really? Yeah. It fooled me. I didn't have a poster because uh, I bought it from a, a GameStop in 1995. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, spoilers. Uh, yeah, another impressive thing about Final Fantasy VI is just the amazing array of, array of styles in the game. It, mm. it really hits just about everything. Uh, you have like the the Veld theme, which is kind of like a tribal beat. Uh, hard rock, progressive rock, symphonies, polka, opera, techno. Uh, and it all seems to go together, uh, even if you just listen to the soundtrack. Like it all, I guess, you know, the, the unique sound quality of the Super NES's chip kind of makes it all kind of fit together as like a, you know, a soundtrack. And then it culminates in that crazy final battle theme, Dancing mm, Mad, and the, uh, the finale, the 20-minute ending credits. Yeah, I recorded right, that right, on yeah. tape just to hear the song again. Hot take. Yeah. Dancing Mad is Uematsu at his absolute best. I don't think that's he's That's hot about that take. Hot. It's a, it's a, that is his like, finest like video game effort. Mm. And even One Winged Angel hasn't topped it. Just for the, for the sheer amount of variety and the way that it progresses mm. so beautifully – uh, from from each part of the boss culminating in the in well bringing you all the way back to the original theme when you start up the game when uh, Kefka is coming down as the angel.
so good. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Because he's coming down, and it's just the opening. It's the guy. opening. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which by now you've heard like 20 times, <laughs> at yes. least. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot that the title screen has that like that like organ dirge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, and of course, then the Final Fantasy logo is like on fire. Like, yeah. It's really, it's like, no, this is serious. But this there was, is there, serious, was a, there was a cute guys. Moogle on the cover. What are you doing? No, yeah. No emotion this time. This yep. is like, oh crap, end of the world kind of stuff. Right. <clears throat> cough, right, cough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you enter a world in which everything is going to hell. Um, and but there's still, you know, those moments of levity. And so and there's yeah, just tonally, like Final Fantasy three is all over the map, but it all it all works together um you know it's like it's like harry potter going to hogsmeade or you know somebody dying in the next chapter it feels like a world yeah yeah So then Final Fantasy VII, very different game. Interesting uh, to me is the fact that, you know, it is a finally uh, Umatsu moving to CD and still using, like, synthesized music, not, yeah. not using yeah. Audio. You know, I, so, um, it's so interesting because I, I was looking at the dates on this um, b- before we came in here, and uh, there was... There was zero overlap uh, between the Super Famicom era Square and the uh, PlayStation era Square. Like they really like Square in 1996. It's like uh, Bahamut Lagoon, Treasure of the Rudras, uh, Treasure Hunter G, and then like a month later, Tobal Number One, yeah. and then Final Fantasy said like they just like flipped the switch and that was it. There was no fuzziness whatsoever. I have a story about how the soundtrack physically hurt me. Okay. Uh, I was at Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like I like the uh, compositions, but of course the instrumentation is a different issue. And uh, when I was at the, the PSX event last year, when they did that fake out where they're like, uh, a game is coming, guys, for the PS4. Guess what game it is? And they play the, the first, you know, doo, doo, oh, doo. Yeah. Guess what? That music was never designed to fill an auditorium, guys. I felt like heads were going to explode oh. because, like, the song kept playing and I had to, like, run out of the theater because it, it hurt like, too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. like that that music was not designed to fill uh, an auditorium. It was only designed to come out of your TV. And even then. <laughs> so I like Final Fantasy VII's theme, and there are a lot of, like, pieces that I think work really well. But I was disappointed at the time because I didn't think it was as rich as Final Fantasy VI's music. Uh, and it's really driven home like right away when the 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 logo pops up and it's supposed to be the big musical sting. Like it's hit at it hit its peak and it sounded synthesized and kind of fake. Yeah, the the soundtrack to Seven is very synth- synthetic, um, mm-hmm. and I think that is a deliberate choice. Yeah, the the PlayStation was capable of. Sounding like anything, it had, uh, you know, wavetable sounds. It had Yellow Book, which is like pre-recorded streamed audio, and then it had Red Book, which mm-hmm. is you know like CD style audio. Right, but of course, Final Fantasy VII. I don't think I don't think Final Fantasy VII used Red Book for 
it didn't. much of anything. No, it didn't. Right. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying the potential was there yes. for Final Fantasy VII to yeah. have any sound it wanted. But I think I think the the kind of flat discordant style of Final Fantasy VII is a deliberate choice by Uematsu and whoever did the sound programming to tie into the flat, synthetic, dying world of Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Uh, it, I don't know that it's necessarily the most pleasant music that he ever produced. And certainly, I think moving from you know a 3D, 3-CD soundtrack to a 4-CD soundtrack spread him a bit thin. Yeah. And some of the compositions, you're just like, why is this happening? Actually, it was 3-CDs. The soundtrack? Oh, no. The soundtrack. Yeah. 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 The soundtrack was 4-CDs. Well, my, my apologies for being pedantic. <laughs> There's like this one be song. Pedantic. If you're going to be pedantic, be right. Yeah. There's this one song in the, on the soundtrack that just plays whenever goofy stuff is happening. It's just like a bunch of random, like, cautionous sound effects. It's like, <laughs> right. it hurts. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, it's like there's a couple of songs from Final Fantasy VII that have endured over time and that will always be played in every Final Fantasy concert. And then the other, like, three and a half CDs of it is like, eh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, ba- the battle thing was okay. I like the boss battle theme with that cr- another crazy it's organ different. solo. It's different. Theme. Yes. Um, and then- I like the reprise of A Head in Our Way from Final Fantasy V. It's almost not recognizable. Right. Right. But like if you stop and listen when you read the name of it, you're like, oh, oh yeah, I hear it. It was relaxing. It, or it, it was yeah. not relaxing. It was just kind of, you know, walking along and... And because we, it was, and because it was all polygonal, like you spent a lot of you spent a lot more time walking yeah, from place yeah. to place. It was sort of slow. We, so, but there's a second overworld theme. Yeah, um, when meteor shows up and it's in the sky, and it's much more foreboding. Mm. Yeah, but it's still 
very subtle, and I think both of them work really well. Yeah, this summer theme makes you think of the Ocarina of Time one, where it's like this long suite, which is much longer than you would yeah. get. But it's it really just is built to be like this is a big world. This this is not going to be repetitive. You can like walk around in this place place and not hear the same music over and over again. Yeah, the the, the overworld theme is like seven minutes long on yeah. the soundtrack, which is you know usually the songs are like two to three minutes long at mm-hmm. the most. And when you leave a town, you're back to where you left off with that song, right? right? Yeah. So it really does feel like. Yeah, there's this big adventure ahead of you, and you'll keep hearing this theme kind of go through where it was. kind of simplistic I thought not the, the regular Sephiroth theme the oh 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 you know what I right, mean right right yeah that was that was a good one too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah there were there was a lot of good music I mean all the right. battle themes were great the Genova battle theme in particular Ooh, was really yeah. like putting Final Fantasy music in a different place the battle themes had always been sort of this like rock slash orchestra style and this was much more of like a techno theme like mm. it really you know, a lot of a lot of the music in Final Fantasy VII was alienating and really tried to, I, I think, paint a picture of the world of Midgar as uh, kind of foreboding and unpleasant. And uh, the the Genova theme really kind of spoke to like, hey, this thing is not, you know, this is like an unearthly threat. This is something from another world. Which is the song that everybody remembers. Right. <laughs> the one with vocals. Yeah, I mean, Uematsu clearly, I mean, even with Final Fantasy VI, it was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could put vocals in here? And like tried, you know, with some samples here and there. But yeah, clearly just. And let's not undersell it. Nuts with let's not undersell it. Undersell it's an incredible what? final boss music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's great. It's really catchy. Right. And it's like, oh yeah, this is final boss music. And it's right definitely here. it's it's as tied into the CD era as you know the sort of sampling was tied into the beginning of the Super NES era, which is, oh, we get to have vocals now. Yeah, like, we get and to have like actual choirs singing. Um, you know, as this as this. Uh, I mean, you know, this. But you figure Dancing Mad would have had vocals had he had the ability mm-hmm. then. And the most memorable moment, maybe in Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. is when the music shifts and it starts building up, and of course. Sephiroth casts Meteor, and the whole mm. friggin' thing goes through all of the s- planets in the solar system. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I gotta use the bathroom. I'll be right back, <laughs> Sephiroth. <laughs> and he destroys the entire solar system, and you take a thousand damage. But the battle music. <laughs> <laughs> but the battle well, I better music. Better drink a potion. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. But it also gives you like every status effect in the game. Right. You yeah. can end up being everybody's confused and frogs, so you yeah. have to use a mega elixir right was, away. I was. I found myself uh, both confused and a frog yeah. just playing Final Fantasy. But VII. the battle. But the music plays really well into selling that particular spell Absolutely. as like, oh god, we're about to die. That's it. 
we're done. Exactly. Yeah. So like, where are all these people coming from? Singing like clearly it's, in a weird he clearly way controls the cosmos. In a weird way, it's become a cliche at this point because it, it we've became heard a cliche it, in the year two thousand and one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard it so many times, but. What a great song. It is great. It is great. It is super fun. But it's also like the cake is a lie of Final Fantasy. Music. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, funny. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, yeah, the cake. Yeah, yeah, the cake. Oh, it's, my God. Shut the F up about the cake. It's the Shala's theme of uh, Final Fantasy. <laughs> Am I right? That's right. a deep uh, was cut. That, was that ever really... Uh... Did that ever really become so overplayed? Um, I think it's the song that people remix too many times. Like, people uh, recreate too many uh, times. So, yeah. like, I'm just like, enough. Just there's are, There are more songs in Chrono Trigger, people. Come on. episode is kind of going on a long time. It's yeah. sure running is. low on, on time. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're not going to get to Mitsuda. Um, not, maybe nope. maybe we'll do some other episodes. What about that's just a good you know it's just a good excuse for us to get back together again at a later date and do the Mitsuda yeah. episode. Yep. Can I'll I can that. I at least say like uh, melodies of life? This is also a good but, excuse to put Final Fantasy well, we can, VIII its own episode. We can keep talking uh-huh. about Uematsu. That's okay. Yeah, we should we should wrap up Uematsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not. Uh, I mean, but Uematsu, I mean, there's only Uematsu really, Part Two would be just pushing is, it. This is really pretty much like Uematsu and Final Fantasy. So mm-hmm. he only had three more games. Yeah, uh, we can we can wrap that up pretty quickly. So Final Fantasy VIII, my personal favorite Uematsu Final Fantasy soundtrack. Wow, I really? don't know. Yeah, um, it really feels like un- unlike Final Fantasy VII's soundtrack, it really feels like. He sat down and maybe had the time to say, what can I do to harness, you know, the PlayStation's power and mm-hmm. really put it to use for me? You had one winning one wing angel, sure, but that was really the one track on Final Fantasy VII that made you think, oh, yeah, I could I couldn't have heard this on Super NES. But Final Fantasy VIII has a lot of that. I, I think it's interesting that the game starts out with the intro theme. Which is kind of riffing on One Winged Angel with you know the Latin chorus singing oh, yeah. over the cutscene, and you have the characters fighting and kind of setting the stage. Liberty Fatali. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because yeah, it kind true, of seems a like lot going on. Yeah, it's like, yeah. but it's, it's, it's so good, right? Felt like I, I liked it more than Duel of, of the Fates. Take that, uh, whatever your name is, Beardo. John Williams. There you go. I call him Beardo. Beardo okay. um, 
Yeah, the the intro to Final Fantasy VIII, not just the music, but the introduction altogether. Oh yeah, is interesting because it seems like disconnected, disjointed, like just like here are flashing images from the game that you're about to see. But at the same time, there is actually like the prologue spliced into it yeah. with Cipher and and uh, Squall fighting and Squall getting cut because when the game opens up, Squall's in the hospital recovering from the injury he got in the duel. That's right. In the introduction, so it's like. It, it it kind of surprises you, and you're like, oh wait, so that was actually like part of the story right there. It wasn't mm-hmm. just you know showing me something that's going to happen. It's something that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, pretty kind of a bombastic intro, and then it shifts immediately to the, one of probably the the music you hear most in the game besides like the battle theme, which is the Balam Garden theme. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is very gentle, like it's very mm-hmm. relaxing yeah. and. You know, you spend so much time within the garden because the game is, has that unusual structure where you're constantly going back to the school and eventually, like, the school starts traveling with you uh, because, for some reason, schools can fly in this world. Um, and so it, it's fitting that, you know, like, the music that kind of is your hub world or hub area is uh, is pleasant to listen to. And um, I don't know, it, it kind of, like, paints Balam Garden as a safe haven from the rest of the world. Like, yeah. when you're there, you know, you're safe, except, you know, in cutscenes and battles where you're not. The sorceress's theme should definitely come up because that was, uh, you talked about Genova's theme, like really selling how otherworldly and dangerous Genova was and how strange. Uh, the sorceress's theme, uh, just the way that it starts, the do 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 do. Got a little bit of There's Kafka a bit of from chanting in there. Yeah. Um, very mystical, I guess you could say. Uh, it works really well. Um, and we talk about like light motifs. That is a really important song that recurs throughout yeah. in various ways to show. Oh, sorceresses doing sorceress things. Yeah. I, I do love the uh, overworld map song too. It's very understated, but it's, uh, it's a very unusual. Yeah. Like it's it's an acquired taste because it's kind of like. Uh, tuned percussion for a while. Yeah, it feels like it's mm-hmm. meandering an oboe, for a bit. Yeah, yeah. but it's <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a weird, weird, unconventional, very different style of music for the series. Kind of works. 
This was also the game, and this is not super important, I think it's interesting, the fact that uh, they had to change music from the demo because it sounded too similar to the Rocks theme. And it did, and I'm, I'm sure it could have been lateral thinking, but I think that's that's kind of interesting that they actually responded to it instead of just being yeah. a Japanese no, I don't game think creator. It was, I don't think it was lateral thinking. I think he, Oh, you think so? Okay. I, I think he was like, oh, that oh, was yeah. a really great piece of music, and maybe it was unconscious. Like, I try to give him the benefit of the to, doubt. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The interesting <laughs> you know, thing about Final Fantasy VIII is there's kind of an urban theme going on a lot of the time, like especially when they're in the cities and everything. It's the kind of music that you would expect to hear when you're like seeing some characters walking down the street in New York City or something. Hmm. Um, I, I think I it's really like uh, Fisherman's Horizon. I was oh, just about great. to say, yeah, yeah, like the the music in the towns varies, and it fits the kind of town that you're in. Like when you're in the towns under occupation, it's sort of an ominous music. But Fisherman's Horizon, you reach, isn't that after you like walk across the bridge? Squall walks across the bridge with Renoa. Yeah, and it's I like think so. again, Fisherman's Horizon kind of has that haven feel that Balam Garden does, mm-hmm. and it feels like oh, I've kind of reached a place where I'm safe after a really long arduous journey. Mm. I have not played this game since 1999, so it's I don't really remember good. very much of it. Like, it starts fairly normal when you're fighting Ultimecia in her normal form. Right. That's but as then far as I got in that game. she uh, summons her guardian, and that's when it gets into the, the deep, kind of throaty rock. Um, I, I never heard the whole thing within the game because I killed her on the first turn with Squall's uh, limit break. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> because well, the game she, is really easy to break if you know what you're Then she turns doing. into the guardian, and then when you beat the guardian, uh, you think that you've won because there's giant explosions because that's what Square Enix did at the time. Yeah, they did. But then it fades to black, and then you hear the sorceress chanting. And then it goes into a theme that's uh, very reminiscent of Final Fantasy IV's kind of Zeramis music um, with the extreme. So it's definitely a bit of a throwback there. Lots of really good stuff uh, some throwback uh, definitely just a lot more listenable than Final Fantasy 7's music A lot of uh, really, Uematsu does a lot of interesting story things with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of the game, Final Fantasy VIII, is the flashbacks to Laguna lore. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know who he is until much later in the game when you can kind of piece it together. But he's a very different protagonist than Squall. And you play as him for periods, and uh, much to Squall's irritation because he's experiencing these sections as dreams and really hates Laguna. Uh, but Laguna is such a different character than Squall. Like, Squall is very kind of mournful and at the same time uh, 
I don't know, standoffish. Laguna is very outgoing and uh, not all that self-confident and smooth, but, you know, he tries, by God. And uh, his his battle theme is completely different than Squall's. You have, like, the sort of newscast... standard battle theme and then uh with laguna when when laguna comes in it's this crazy techno theme that's uh that really stands out and sets that sequence apart from the rest of the game no crystal theme hmm. it only gets a brief kind of shout out at the very end when L- Renoa and Squall kiss for the first time and it pans away and you can kind of hear like yeah. a few chords from it that's huh. it is that why people are like the crystals are back in Final Fantasy 9 yeah yes. pretty much yeah, the yeah. return Basically. of the crystals the most important thing about this game series except that <laughs> it wasn't except it's in like the last five minutes of the game mm-hmm. And they, I don't even think they play the crystal music until the very last, like, like screen, like when it's saying "fiend." They at the end of of nine. Of nine. Of no. nine. I could be wrong. At the end of nine, they play Final Fantasy, the main theme. They do, at the but end I'm talking about after the that. song. After no, I thought Final Fantasy nine. I thought the crystal stuff was the prelude was like in there. It's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. The menu screen or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I forget. There's there's one other important thing to mention about Final Fantasy eight, which was the use of live instruments to a oh, certain sure. degree. Um, didn't they? Um, didn't it's like even in the title play of one guitar? Of the songs. Yes. Yeah. Um, he worked in his Telecaster guitar yes. as samples. In and the there's Chocobo a few, song. Yep, Mods yeah. de Chocobo has like the surf rock style. Yeah. And the title <laughs> yeah. is actually Mods de Chocobo featuring Inns uh, Telecaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Like, so he was really proud of it, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah. There were some other places where the guitar shows up. The most, my favorite is the Spy, which is the kind of like funky sneaking track you hear when uh, Selfie and the team are trying to infiltrate the enemy garden. Uh, so there's just like this, uh, you know, kind of 60s 
um, oh. kind of dirty, funky spy yeah, music sound. I remember that now. Yeah, and th- that was another one of those places where I was like, oh, this is not like typical Final Fantasy. But I really liked that about it. Like, they really went all in on making that game different, and that includes the soundtrack. Last two games Final, Final Fantasy Nine. Final Fantasy Typical nine. Final Fantasy. Mm. I like literally have nothing to say about that soundtrack. It's oh, yeah. great. It's so good. Um I well I, I like um Melodies of Life way better than I liked Eyes on Same Me. Same here, yeah. Which was which um Yeah, Eyes on the, Me. Was the the awful. both of both of them the lyrics were a little bit weird, but the with the Emiko Shiratori song was significantly better. battle theme is good. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I love it. It's really Oh, and the opening of Final Fantasy 9 I thought was was this really fun thing where um it instead of going bah, bah, punch you in the face, it was just, it was that <laughs> one song that was just like um a very very um low key flute song. Right, yeah. Um really uh, really yeah. traditional almost 8-bit styled melody. Um, very renaissance. Over yeah, very yep and just and just over uh, still images and that was the intro to Final Fantasy 9. And of course things would kind of kick into high gear. But, like, that was the intro, and it was very much like classic Final Fantasy again, rather than the ridiculous sort of bombast. Yeah, I've always been disappointed with both Nine and its soundtrack because they were so, like, let's reach back into the past and make kind of a traditional game. And I loved how just progressive and different 7 and 8 were. So it was always kind of a letdown to me. But Nine does a lot of good things with the music. I mean, the entire intro sequence, when you're kind of controlling Vivi and working through the town and it builds into the story, like, it, it kind of harkens back to the opera sequence of Final Fantasy VI. Like, you're trying to get into a play and then you take part in the play. And there's a heist going on. And so music plays a really big part in all of that, and it's great. battle theme just highlights how long it takes to load in yeah, the actual like,
keeps yeah. going, keeps going, keeps going. But again, they had to bring back the. I mean, people were so excited they brought back the. Da, 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 yeah, da, well, that was exciting, battle. and then they just turned that into the entire song, basically. Yeah, yeah. that game needs to be remade. Come on, guys. <laughs> I'd play it. I just with shorter load times. I think uh, the Garo Library. Look that song up. It's one of my favorites, and uh, this this one had a good. Um, I don't think it had a, a arranged album. It had a piano album, I'm pretty sure, that I like. It did not yeah. have an arranged album. You're right. Yeah, it was the first one in a long time to not have an arranged album. It's kind of weird. And I didn't point this out, but thumbs down on Final Fantasy VI Grand Finale. Bad. <gasps> not good. Really? They hit some sour notes on that album. Oh. It's weird. It's like, did you guys not practice this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a CD recording. Oh, you mean literally. Like hitting wrong notes. Yeah, like wrong listen notes. to that realm theme. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a bagpipe, so who knows if the notes are right or yeah, not, but I mean... Right. kind of guess. Yeah. Also, I didn't need a real bagpipe in that song. Uh, any other thoughts on Final Fantasy IX? I don't want to give it too short shrift, but there's just not that much interesting happening on. Music is woven into the game, but nothing that you really hadn't heard before in Final Fantasy. I I, I seem to recall that they did something good with the, the Fiends music, or did mm. they just reuse the boss music again? I forget, but I one thing I really liked was the different, many different reprises of Melodies mm. of Light, the many different versions of it, because mm. that's a very catchy and like very emotional song. Oh, yeah, because liked... it was also the overworld music. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, and there, yeah. there was the Rat River dance. That was great. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> oh. And uh, they, they also um, made deliberate, or Uematsu really, made deliberate callbacks to older Final Fantasy music because the game was so kind of uh, self-referential. But the uh, the Gurgu Volcano theme was, mm, that's really uh, was a really nice reprise. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, it tugged at my mind. I was like, why does this music sound so familiar? Together. Oh, Golga Volcano is Gurgu Volcano. I say uh, buy Final Fantasy IX Chips. That album is really good, and you will appreciate the soundtrack if you didn't before. Mm-hmm. Really good. So then finally, um, you know, Uematsu's last main work with Final Fantasy before going solo. We can mm-hmm. talk about 14, but uh, it really was Final Fantasy X, and it was a different kind of uh, production for Uematsu because it was collaborative. Mm-hmm. And he worked with two other musicians, Masashi Hamauzu, who would go on to do Final Fantasy XIII soundtrack, had already kind of made his name with Saga Frontier 2's soundtrack. Very beautiful. Uh, and then Junya Noriko, and I don't really know what mm. work he, she has done. Um, but you can tell. Then I guess like, she. Yeah. yeah well, probably. for Noriko, yeah. Well, that's that's a family name. Uh, oh, uh, it is? I think so. Are you sure? I don't know. Masashi Hamauzu, Hamauzu's family name. Yes. And then Junior Nordico. So, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, no, you're right though. About his songs do stand out. I actually well, just all, all three. Like, yeah, the, it's it's the the least cohesive Final Fantasy soundtrack. It really is. Like, I was just I just started a new game with this for no reason, just to see like why does everyone like this game? Because I don't. And like I was playing it. Like, oh, that is definitely Uematsu. Like, it's an instrument I haven't heard anywhere else outside of his music. Like, it sounds like a Super Nintendo y instrument. Well, and then Hamauzu's music is very distinct too. Oh yeah, like it has this kind of 
I don't know how I would describe his music, but it, it, it kind of like has less dynamic range to it. It's all kind of like a slab of music, almost like it doesn't have peaks and troughs so much. It's more kind of consistent. I wouldn't say monotonous. Like the way I'm describing it sounds bad, but it's not. It's just distinct. Junya Nakano. 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 Okay. Mm. Yes. Who did the piano the theme at yeah. the beginning? Oh. I think that was, I'm pretty sure that was Uematsu. Yeah. That's a good one. Because that's a beautiful, like, little intro. And when I was in college and I used to go to the student union and study, somebody would get on the piano and play that on a pretty regular <laughs> basis. Where did you go to college, Kat? The University of Minnesota. So. Home of the fighting nerds. <laughs> Just kidding. We're all nerds of Minnesota. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> so we were busy. So I got to be serenaded by that by the Final Fantasy X soundtrack on piano while I studied, and it was very nice. So to this mysterious stranger who may be listening to this episode, <laughs> let, you, let know that I really enjoyed it. To Zanakund was uh, Nobu Uematsu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most uh, of yes. the music was Uematsu, but mm. then you would get so, like these random things where all of a sudden it was like really kind of strident, and that was yeah. Kano, or very like um, kind of gentle and pastoral, and that was Hamauzu. Talking One- about how important battle themes can be to uh, set the tone of a game, or how important having a good battle theme can be when because it can get repetitive in a hurry. Final Fantasy X does not have a good battle theme. It doesn't. It just kind of just kind of sits there and does what it's supposed well, to do. Well, it's really jarring. Yeah. Like it has a really <laughs> jarring <laughs> intro, which I hate. Yeah. <laughs> I I really hate a jarring intro because like suddenly it's just it it's like a screech of a record when it's coming in, and then it just kind of hits the same notes over and over again. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's it's not anything to be perfectly honest. <laughs> And then, of course, there's the final boss music. It's so good. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the the, the, the throaty yeah. heavy metal. Just fart metal. noises. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he write that song? <laughs> like oh. he wrote the lyrics for it. For what? For Otherworld. For oh really? Well, he wrote the he translated the lyrics for um, Melodies of Life too. Right, but no, I yeah. mean he actually, he actually wrote them wrote as the opposed to oh, it was sung by Guar. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, because the Japanese gotcha. version is also in English. Uh, right. Yeah, it's I wouldn't say Guar. It's more like um, yeah, it sounds industrial. Oh, What's the guy's name? Rob Zombie. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. That's a shame. Uh, no, I mean when I first heard the the soundtrack, I listened to the soundtrack before playing the game. 
because the game came out, you know, like nine months later in in, in America. And you could download MP3s at that point. No, I got the sound. Oh, you did. Like I actually bought the CDs. Oh, yeah. wow. uh, I'm a good boy. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, like I got to that part of the soundtrack, and it was just like, "What in God's name is this?" <laughs> say your this. mama's Final I'm Fantasy. Say I'm so angry about this. But then when I got to it in the context of the game, I was like, "Oh wait, no, this works. This is like some weird, horrible heavy metal video that I'm fighting through." Okay, I can do this. So that, that if worked. I win the game, it'll stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, Uematsu's light motifs come out a fair amount in this game, actually. Uh, The Tuzanarkand gets repeated quite a bit. Uh, There's a peppy version that when they're trying to be kind of cute and comedic, uh, there's a a much faster and kind of happy island version of it that I kind of like that's usually played with... um, God, why don't I remember his name? Plays Blitzball, has the red hair. Bender, Bender, yeah, Bender, Bender bending Rodriguez. Waka Waka, Waka, yes. Yeah. He, uh, that music comes up a lot in con- context with him and the Oruts. As a soundtrack, it kind of points to where Final Fantasy was going in general, which sadly, some good music, but ultimately <laughs> well, forgettable. Well, Uematsu, Uematsu leaves after Final Fantasy X, and the next piece of Final Fantasy music you hear is garbage J-pop at the beginning of Final mm. Fantasy X2. And yeah. then it was just, it was done. Everything was done. That was it. <laughs> just shut it all down. <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> So Uematsu went solo after Final Fantasy X. Is there any post-FF10 music by Uematsu that you're just like, oh, that's really great? I, I do uh, like nope. Blue Dragon soundtrack, actually. Yeah. I feel like it could be it could have been a, a classic Final Not Not maybe like FF6 or 4 classic, but it feels like it could have fit into that kind of uh, that kind of sound. Uh, look up Gibrel Castle. That's a really good song from Blue Dragon. Hmm. And also, he hired the dude from Deep Purple to do that awesome boss theme from from uh, Blue Dragon. Have you heard that theme? I haven't. It's like literally a heavy metal song with like lyrics. Huh. It's amazing. I, oh, I, I have heard that. That, that yeah. Microsoft money. Yeah. yeah. It's like that. You could convince. I mean, if you were a Japanese video game publisher in those days, you could convince Microsoft that you needed money for anything. Yeah. You could just. Be, I mean, you you could be Capcom and convince Microsoft that they have to make you a forty button controller for a mech game. To be like, okay, <laughs> you we'll could be Uematsu and be like, I have to hire the guy from Deep Purple, and Microsoft's like, well, if that's what you have to do. Oh, that was the original <laughs> Xbox. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
I do want to say, though, I, I, it, I, it's really unfair of me to say this, but I feel like it's not... I don't like the fact that Uematsu can no longer just own a soundtrack. He, it can't just be his anymore. I mean, we have things like Blue Dragon, but it's very rare. But I think it's because he's expensive. So, like, any um, any trash game could have one song by him. Sort of like, we got a mono to draw a logo. Oh, like, right, like, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, he's, he's expensive, but also he runs a company. That so too, yeah. And I mean... He's probably you're gonna go to him and he'll be like, okay, well, myself and then all these other people that I work with will compose music for your game. Like my company, Smile Please, will deliver a soundtrack to your right. game. Right, and he's also but I personally am not gonna compose every single one of them. Yeah, and he's also almost sixty, so I assume like as you age, as we all do, our output decreases. You but know, two thousands, he was on tour a lot. Like mm. he was doing the yeah. the, the Dear black friends pages. and all that. Right. Well, you know, I mean, you know, more of an, um, you know, he's performing his his older stuff. He is writing some stuff, but it's like, you know, it, eventually you're going to be more, you know, you're going to go from writer to editor, right? I mean, rather than just have to sit there and compose, 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 it's like if you know what good music is, you can work with other people to have them create it, and you can guarantee somebody, look, I'm going to deliver you, you know, quality music yeah. for your game. I think the thing that disappoints me more in a broader ter- tech, uh, a broader context of video games is that you look at what's considered a good soundtrack and it's often forgettable now. I mean, if you if you look at the list of nominees for best soundtrack at the VGAs, yeah, I was. Uh, it was like mm. uh, a follow four. Okay, yeah. I, I tried yeah. to get Axiom Virgin there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, like Shovel Knight had a phenomenal soundtrack, like. But a lot of them are retro-themed, and they're going for a very specific sound. And it's disappointing that we haven't really seen people build on Uematsu's work. I mean, yeah, there's games in Japan that have come out of Japan, but even they can be pretty subdued. Hmm. It's just like, don't get in the way of the sound, the sound that, and the action. Yeah, that era of the the really strong, lasting melody that goes with you after you finish a game, I mean... That's that hasn't that hasn't exactly gone away, but I mean it's no longer the the domain of like big sort sort of triple A yeah. RPGs. Like now it's, it's just the it's, the nature of games is different, right? That that kind of music's not appropriate, right? Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And so there have been great you know video game songs. Yeah, but, but even when you're playing a game like Uncharted, for example, I mean it's like Indiana Jones light, what's right? The rousing I mean, Uncharted theme. It's uh, not even that good. The one that <laughs> I don't has even stuck know what it is. with me the absolute most, you know, these days, uh, from like especially from a Square Enix RPG perspective, is near. Mm. I mean, that's that's something I could hum you five songs from right now, you know, and that that was a tremendous soundtrack. Um, so those the stuff is out there, but it's not as it's for some reason it's just not as prevalent as it was. Things that really kind of break the mold. Mostly the music is used, you know, to accentuate what's going on, but. It, it's not, it doesn't really stand on its own as much anymore. Persona really has done a great job yeah. of mm, I would kind say of, I sure. suppose, carrying the torch um, yeah. and having a really memorable and exciting soundtrack to go with their JRPGs. So. I'm just glad Uematsu did not fall off the face of the earth like uh, Mitsuda did, who we were supposed to talk about today, but we were we have more than when enough to say about it. the face of the earth, we don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, Uematsu is still making new music, but like Mitsuda, well, who knows? I mean, he runs his own company too, that's correct? That's the thing. Mit- yeah. Mitsuda absolutely like started a lot earlier um, as the head of his own production studio. And so now again, like people go to him and they say, oh, you know, can Procyon Studio do the soundtrack for our new, you know, mm. whatever. And then it's like, okay, great. It's like, well, it's going to be this person or it's going to be that person. Or it's going to be a mix of things. Yeah, so we don't really get those Mitsuda soundtracks anymore. But some people, you know, like that's – like honestly, that's how you can make the most money without totally killing yourself. Yeah, I guess to so. sort of run the company. And he almost and, like, did kill himself work. but with work. He certainly yeah. did. Yeah, we can talk about that during the upcoming some Mitsuda other episode, episode yeah. of Retronauts. We're going to wrap yeah. this one up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, any final, final thoughts on Uematsu, like in 20 words or less? He defined what video game music was for me. Yes. I mean, he was absolutely like the the, the king of that particular moment. Um, and I, I, yeah, I hope that other people can appreciate that in the years to come. That this is sort of a blip. You know, and it's not sort of a random trivia question, like yeah. the king of the eight bit soundtracks, you know. I can kind of credit him with getting me to accept all kinds of music because his soundtracks were all kinds of music. I, I would not turn up my notice at anything because it's like I grew up hearing all these different styles and songs and things I would never naturally encounter outside of a game, and that made me like everything. So, yeah. I would say he turned Final Fantasy games from good to great. Mm. His music, like, like with the Star Wars uh, scores, took something that was, you know, really good and elevated it to, elevated it to a different level, made it much more emotional, much more affecting. All right. Well, anyway, so that's Nobu Uematsu. Go cool listen guy. to some game soundtracks and uh, be sure to put on your bandana while you do, just, mm-hmm. just to get into the spirit of the thing. And be sure to check out his Black Mages uh, band performances. There's a few albums yeah. that are like black metal versions yeah. of Final <laughs> Fantasy music. Really, really fun stuff. And, he, and that's what I meant. He did become a piano rocker playing mm-hmm. live concerts mm-hmm. to sold out crowds. Oh, his dream so, came true. Yeah. He, his, his dream yeah. did come true. Yeah. All right. So, Chris, Kat, thanks for coming in um, and sharing your thoughts on Uematsu. Bob, of course, thanks for being here and running the, the board. Aw, shucks. Yeah. Anyway, so... That's it for this Retronauts. You can find us at retronauts.com, usgamer.net. You can find us on social media as usgamer.net. Or, no, sorry, as the Retronauts. Yeah. Wow. I do a lot of podcasts. We're one and the same. (laughs) You can find us as Retronauts on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and so forth. Uh, Of course, this podcast is made possible by funding through Patreon. Please send us some money. We'll send you some stuff, and we'll keep recording of podcasts. We got to rent studio space and buy equipment and fly me out to San Francisco and so forth. Uh, buy our guests expensive sushi dinners, you know, mm. the, the essentials. Um, anyway, so as for myself, you can find me on Twitter making dad jokes as GameSpite. You can also check out really ridiculous projects I'm working on at GameBoyWorld.com and GoodNintentions.com. Oh, and also USGamer.net. Yep. You can find me on Twitter, melting down over my horrible sports teams on the underscore catbot. I have an RPG podcast on US Gamer called Axe of the Blood God. So if you enjoyed this episode, well, there's a lot more like that over on US Gamer. Um, we're on Stitcher and iTunes and all that good stuff. So Axe of the Blood God. And if you want to hear me talk about sports for some reason, check out Hit the Pass. Uh, we talk about sports video games, which is pretty cool. It's a podcast as well. You can find me, Bob Mackey, on Twitter as Bob Servo. I also write for usgamer.net and somethingawful.com. And also, please listen to my other podcast, Talking Simpsons, a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. That's on the LaserTime Podcast Network. Either go to lasertimepodcast.com or just search for Talking Simpsons in your iDevice and you should find it. I, Chris Kohler, am on Twitter. It's Kobunheat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T is my Twitter handle. Um, check out Wired.com for all of my writing um, or, you know, uh, whatever. And um, also listen to Good Job Brain, which is also a podcast that I do that is not at all about video games um, and thus is a lot happier. <laughs> you got a book deal. Congratulations. Oh, yes. Yeah, Good Job Brain. We're going to write a book. We are writing a book. We're writing it right now. Very good. Thanks. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a teeny tiny episode.